It's nice to see you all. Great together. Great to be able to sing like this. I'm telling you, I've been studying the book of Revelation, and let me tell you, heaven sounds like it's going to be very loud. They've got electricity, they've got lightning all the time, thunder all the time, multitudes are singing and praising, there are smells, incense is being poured out all the time. It sounds phenomenal. And so we, when we engage in a little bit of that on earth, I think, man, this is it. It's a preview of what's to come. Good stuff, eh? All right, all right. Uh, my name is Justin, as Scott said. If you're new or if you're visiting, we're really glad that you're here. And uh, this morning, what I want to talk about is the roadmap within the kingdom of God. All of us in this building today are at different stages in our growth as people and as individuals and as Christians. Some of you here this morning are possibly looking at Christianity, you're kind of checking it out, maybe you've been thinking about it for a while, so you're at a point along that journey. Others have been a Christian for a long time, so you're a little bit further down the road. You know, all of us step into the kingdom of God, but we do it at, but our growth is at different phases and at different speeds. And this morning what I wanna talk about is the different milestones that we find along that path along that journey within the kingdom of God, in our Christianity. <clears throat> now, when I started reading the Bible as a, as a teenager, one of the scriptures that I read was, it came out of Matthew chapter five, the Beatitudes. And you kind of got the sense, I kind of got the sense when I read this portion of scripture that it, there was something very powerful about it, something very pertinent about this scripture. It was the first major discourse that Jesus had given. It was a, one of his greatest sermons, or it's counted as one of the greatest sermons in time. Jesus was sitting on a mountaintop and people were gathered all around him and he started out on this discourse, this sermon, and he was teaching the people. And as I read it, I must have read it quite a good number of times over a period of years, and I thought there's something about this scripture. There's something about this portion of scripture which is powerful, but I'm not quite getting it. It's not hitting me. It's almost as though, have you ever felt like a, a football come whizzing past your head, and you can feel that there's something powerful coming right past you, you whoa, but it doesn't hit you, and it doesn't impact you. Have you felt that before? You sense that there is something powerful coming right by you, but it doesn't connect you, but you know it's there. Ooh, what is that? It almost hit me. That's kind of how I felt about this scripture. Every time I read it, I thought, oh, there's something here, but it's just not impacting me. It's not connecting me. And I think when we feel that, when we read scripture, or when God is trying to show us things, it's an indicator, in fact, it's an invitation to dwell a little longer over a particular scripture, or over a particular verse or a concept. He's saying, I've got something for you here. Don't rush off from this. Wait until it hits you. And so it hit me one day. And what I wanna do this morning is go through this scripture with us and really just dig into it and see how it applies to our journey within our Christianity. So Matthew chapter five, if you have your Bibles with you, if you don't, you're welcome to read on the screens behind me. So Jesus, was up on the mountain and he saw the crowds as he went up on the mountainside and his disciples came to him. And he started with this teaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness 
for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he wraps up this beautiful piece of scripture with this line, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, he says, when this happens, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is the scripture we're going to look at this morning. And now when I would read it, I kind of thought, all right, well, maybe there are different kinds of people. There are people who are meek, and if they're meek, this is the kind of blessing they get. There are people who, who are poor in spirit, whatever that may mean, and they shall receive the kingdom. There are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled. So there's different types of people, and they get different kinds of blessings. But when this, the impact of the scripture hit me, I realized that this wasn't just different types of blessings for different types of people, but this was a progression. This was a journey. There was a starting point here and an ending point. This was linear to a degree. And then everything fell into place. Then poor in spirit started to make sense. By the way, Beatitudes, which I just only found out recently, means supremely blessed. Supremely blessed. It's the best kind of blessing that you can get or find. So if you want blessing in your life, who does want blessing? Let's just check. Who wants average blessing? Hands down. Who wants supreme blessing? Hands up. All right. This is important. <laughs> All right. So it, we start off, and so Jesus starts off, and he starts off on this journey, describing this journey, and he starts off with this statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now what's interesting is that when Jesus was teaching, standing on the mountainside, in front of him would have been two broad categories of people. There would have been the common people of the day, reasonably uneducated, not terribly wealthy, and not particularly religious. And then there would have been the religious people of the day who were typically quite wealthy, very educated, very learned, and almost holier than thou. These guys were known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were the learned people of the day. And so both people would come and listen to Jesus. The commoners would come because he appealed to them. He spoke their language. He was authentic. He spoke with authority and they loved it. It was like this guy's one of us and he's able to teach us. He's able to instruct us. We like him. The Pharisees would come because they thought this guy really has something with the people. We don't really like it. We better keep an eye on him. So both groups would come and listen to what he was saying. And there was a sharp contrast between the two groups. So when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for us, we might, we might not have an initial concept of what that means, but these guys would have. The poorer ones in, the, in these two groups would have said, well, that's us. We're poor in spirit. We're not wealthy. We're not educated. We don't know the law. We don't know the word of God. We're not even able to read it. We must be the poor in spirit. And these guys, the wealthy guys, they would have said, well, we're not poor in spirit. We are wealthy in spirit. We know the word of God. We have studied for many years. We have applied the word of God with extreme discipline to our lives. We are holy. We are in touch with God. We are his spokesmen on earth. And so they would have felt, we are wealthy in spirit, and these guys would have felt, we are poor in spirit. So as Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom, 
suddenly these guys, their eyes lit up because the kingdom of God typically would have belonged to the wealthy. And so the poorer guys are like, oh, the kingdom belongs to us. We like this guy. I can follow him. I like what he's saying. And these guys, you know, they would have been stroking their long beards, which would indicate their wisdom. And they said, hmm, this doesn't sound good. The kingdom is ours by right. We are the ones who have studied. We are the ones who have applied ourselves. We are the ones who have forsaken the things of the world so that we can pursue holiness and righteousness. And these guys are like, oh, this is good news. Kingdom is for us. Now, what, is, what happens here is that there's a recognition of poverty. Poor in spirit is a recognition of poverty of heart. Spiritually bankrupt. That's where the journey into the kingdom of God begins. Is when people recognize that their hearts are empty. The bank account in here is leaking. It is hemorrhaging. I try and fill it. I try and make deposits to keep my heart feeling full and healthy and wealthy. And I do it through career. I do it through love. I do it through pleasure. I do it through relationships. I do it through sin. But it hemorrhages out my heart and I'm left bankrupt. There is a recognition of spiritual bankruptcy. That has to come by the Spirit of God. And in the world today, those who make the first step into the kingdom of God are those who realize that they don't have it all together, that there is something missing. Those who still think that they're doing okay, that they're filling up their heart, that there's a sense of well-being inside of them, are, it's very difficult for them to step into the kingdom of God. Financial riches and material riches in the world do not fill this gap within our spirit within our soul. We can be surrounded by pleasure, by fame, and by fortune, and still people who live the highest of those lives will be found dead in a hotel room, alone, overdosed on drugs, because they are not whole, healthy, and wealthy within the very depths of their being. So there is a recognition of bankruptcy within, and that's the first step spiritually poor, an admission of that. I am empty. I am broken. There's nothing inside of me. And then Jesus goes on, and he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When you have this recognition, step one is the recognition. Step two is a mourning over it, a sense of brokenness over it. You look inside and you say, there is nothing, nothing inside of me that is worth anything, nothing that I'm able to contribute. And there's a brokenness, a sense of mourning over it. Now, I know people who are messed up and proud of it. I am messed up, but that's who I am, you know? There's a sense of identity in their brokenness and a sense of pride in their brokenness. And they pursue that path bent toward hell with vigor. And those guys, there's a, there's a recognition of brokenness, but no mourning. And so we mourn over our brokenness, and we, we come and we say, I am, woe is me, I am empty, and our head hangs. You know, the world today is the complete opposite. The world today says you can be anything you want to be. Pursue your dreams, you can take hold of them. And Jesus says, actually, it's the opposite. You can't do anything. You can try, but you will never fill that void and when you realize that, the next step 
is to be broken, spiritually broken. Then Jesus says, then I'm able to comfort you. Jesus stretches out his arm and he says, let me comfort you. You know, the qualification for Jesus is not wealth, it's not having it all together, it's brokenness and it's mourning. Can you believe it? Then Jesus goes on and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, no, blessed are the meek is the next one, isn't it? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, if we think of the earth, in other words, owning property, owning a piece of land. I live in Norwood, right next to the Automile, and along the Automile, you can see that there are these empires being built. There are a couple of big names who just own vast amounts of space and vast amount of vehicles on the Automile. Those guys, if I were to meet them, I don't think I would describe them as meek. Right? They would be type A personalities, ambitious, aggressive, go-getters, taking hold of what they have and building up their empire. Jesus says, that's not going to work here. Meek. Meek is such a weak word. Meek means submissive, giving in, surrender. We don't really like that word that much. But Jesus says, if you want, a, if you want the kingdom, what I want from you is meekness. It's the opposite. So he says, blessed are the meek, not the aggressive, not the dreamers, not the go-getters, not the type A. Blessed are the meek, the ones who give in. <laughs> blessed are the giver-uppers. Blessed are the surrenderers. Blessed are the losers. That's what happens when you lose, you give up. Jesus says, supremely blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, inherit is a funny word to use there. Because if we think of type A personalities, if I think of the automile, the guys who are going to dominate and, and just build up capital and build up area, build up their own geography, those guys are not inheriting, they're fighting. They're working. They're expanding. We don't fight in inheritance. We don't fight for an inheritance. We receive an inheritance. We receive it. Jesus, we, an inheritance is something that somebody else has fought for. Somebody has gone before us and has done the fighting, done the working, made the sacrifice, put in the hard yards, and we receive the benefit of their hard work in inheritance. That's the nature of their inheritance. And so Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So for these guys listening here, the, the, the wealthy are saying, no, we should inherit the earth. Type A personalities, driven, successful. No, we should have it. We are godly, and, and it makes sense that we should have everything. And these guys who had nothing, probably didn't even own their own land, are listening to this, and their smiles are just getting bigger. Their heads are being lifted higher because they've recognized the poverty within their own hearts. Many of them have mourned over it without any kind of solution. They're realizing there is comfort for me. And then they say, well, I am kind of the loser compared to these guys. I am meek. I am surrendered. I can't do anything for myself. They realize that. And then they say, but I will inherit the earth. The earth, friends. Amazing. So Jesus is painting this picture, painting this path. And for us, we should be finding ourselves somewhere along the path here. Many people like the idea of Christianity, 
but are still go-getters. Let me tell you, let me just clarify something. If you're a go-getter by personality, if you're a type A personality, God has made you that way for a reason. But even in your type A personality, even in your bombastic nature, he says, I want that nature submitted to me. He doesn't want us to change our character, change our, our personality, our God-given traits, but he says, whatever I've given you, no matter how strong or seemingly weak, it needs to be submitted to me. Recognize that I am over everything, Jesus says. And so there's this journey that happens. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So these guys are thinking, there is hope for us. There is a future for us where the world has offered us nothing but is only taken from us. Jesus is saying, I have everything for you. I've fought for it, and I'm going to give it to you. You're going to inherit it. Then it goes on, and it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now what's happening here is that there's, there's been this engaging, this, this engaging with Jesus, and we find it in our own lives. If you look back over your own Christianity, you'll have noticed these points, is that people will give their lives to Jesus. Often you find, you find it with, with young Christians is they'll be bad guys mixing with bad friends. They'll recognize it and not want to go out, not want to do things anymore, and their friends are saying to them, just come, we'll show you a good time. Come out with us tonight. And they're like, I just don't want to go. It's not doing anything for me. I'm a mess inside. I don't want to go anywhere and I don't want to do anything. And their friends who are still pursuing the party life say, come, come. And they go and it doesn't do anything. And then that guy just mourns. He just mopes in his room because he's lost. Then he finds Jesus and Jesus finds him. He comforts him and he realizes there's a hope for me. Jesus has a plan for me. He's done things for my future so that my future is secure. And then this new appetite arises in him. An appetite for righteousness Things change inside of him so that he doesn't want to do the things that he used to do. And he meets his friends and they say, man, you've changed. And they don't like it because he doesn't want to do the things anymore. You've changed. And he says, you're right, I have. Jesus has changed me. I don't have an appetite for the things of this world. Now I want righteousness. I want holiness. I want better things in life. I want to be a better person. I want to be more moral because of what Jesus done. And so they change. Jesus puts this hunger for righteousness in us, and he says, you will be filled. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to nourish you. I'm going to feed you so that you are able to be more righteous, so that you are able to pursue holiness with effectiveness. You are going to change. The things that you used to do, which you used to love and now you hate, you're going to have the power and the ability within you to stop doing it. And there are things that I'm going to give you to do which you're going to love. So he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Changing, a changing within us, our very DNA changes. And then he goes on, he says, right, what's the next step in this? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Suddenly, our perspective shifts. Up until this point, everything has been about me. I'm bankrupt. Oh, I'm desperate for some sort of change in my life. Everything is about me. Then I'm, oh, I, I want to be a better person. I want to grow. I want to develop. 
And Jesus responds to all these things, and then in an instant, suddenly things flip around. Our eyes, instead of facing a mirror and looking at ourselves all the time, that mirror turns into a window where we see the rest of the world, and we want to pour out mercy. Our Christianity moves from being selfish and self-centered to being outward-focused. Many times we camp at the previous point. We camp at wanting to be a better person, wanting to develop ourselves. We walk along the journey and we, and we think, gee, this is nice. I've got these new appetites and Jesus is feeding me. I'm gonna pull out my beach chair, my camp chair, and I'm gonna sit right here. This is the good life. I'm growing, I'm developing, I'm changing. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't sit down here. This isn't a place to camp. I'm preparing you, I'm feeding you, I'm training you, I'm nourishing you for something else. And so he says, step up, and as we step up and move forward, our eyes open to see other people. And we start to feel the heart of God for them, a heart of mercy. And he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So instead of it being the self-oriented religion, now it becomes about other people. Community. You know, you see it often with people when they come into church from a place of brokenness. They come into church, and for the first couple of months, sometimes the first couple of years, they sit there. They don't even think about other people. They don't greet other people. They come in because they're just being healed. They're being comforted. But then sometimes there's a switch where they say, I need to get involved here. I can't just sit here anymore. What, what can I do? And they start asking, can I help with security? Maybe I can, and they pick up the guitar, and they say, I, I used to play the guitar. Maybe I can play in the band. And they think, maybe I can go and help in the, help in the vibe in the, or, or in the bookstore. Maybe I can cook some food. Because suddenly they start thinking, this isn't about me. This has happened to me for the sake of God and for others. And there's a growth and a maturity that comes through it. So we can't afford to rest at just being hungry and thirsty for righteousness and growing from there. Then it goes on, point number six. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And as we start to be His ministers of mercy in the world around us, there's a purity that happens within us. You know, if we think of how gold is refined or platinum is refined, it's not just you add a couple of drops or you do some chemical reaction and boom, you've got uh, everything is sorted out. Gold is removed from the depths of the earth with a whole lot of other junk whole lot of other substances and it gets put into a furnace and it burns for an extended period until all those impurities are lifted off it and scraped off it and, and you're left with this bar of solid gold. You don't take bars of gold out the earth. It comes out with, every, with all the other gunk in it and it goes through a purification process. That's what happens with us. Jesus burns this purification process within us. Sanctification and we let him do it, it's painful sometimes. And we've got to test the purity of our hearts, like David did in Psalm 50 where he lies on his bed and he says, or I imagine him lying in his bed and he says, Lord, test my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me. Test me, Lord, examine me. And he allows himself to go through this testing process. For us, God moves us all the time, and he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Psalm 24 says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? In other words, who's gonna climb up the mountain to see God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. 
they may ascend the hill of the Lord. There's something about purity that opens our eyes to see God clearer. There's something about purity that says, I need to engage with my, I'm going to hear his voice clearer. I'm going to see what he is doing. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. Jesus was absolutely pure. And he says, I do what I see my Father in heaven doing. And Jesus wants the same for us. He says, allow that purity to work in your heart. There are things that he's going to say, you were okay with these a while ago. Now it's time to scrape off that impurity. I'm, I'm refining you with fire. And that'll come through circumstances. That'll come through people correcting. That'll come through teaching from Scripture. That'll come through conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to submit ourselves to that and say, all right, Lord, bring that purification. Bring it because I want to see you. I want to see God. Friends, I want to know that on earth I have been as close to God as I possibly can be. I know that when I die and I go to heaven, I'm going to see Him face to face without the filter of earthly impurities. But on earth, I want to at least have that purification process done so much that it's removed as much impurity as possible so that I can see God clearly. I'm sure you want the same. It's part of the process that God has for us. And it's a partnership with Him. We submit ourselves to Him and He allows that process to take its place. Then He goes on and He says, uh, blessed are the pure in heart. All right. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Now, the subtitle that I put for peacemakers is spiritually aggressive. That seems contradictory. To put aggression next to peacemaker. If you think of the peacekeeping forces that we send into violent areas like Iran, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, those guys are going to bring peace, but they are not peaceful. They are well trained. They are militant. They are focused. They are going in to bring war so that they can establish peace. They don't going, they're not going to make war for the sake of it. They're going to establish peace. But to establish peace, we engage in warfare. Now, we've done six or seven weeks of make war. And that's because we step into warfare. So as we grow through this process, there's that purity, there's that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then, then the Lord says, all right, are you ready to be part of the family business? I'm going to call you my son. Are you ready to be part of the family business? If you are, here is your peacekeeping uniform, breastplate of righteousness, sword of the Spirit, belt of truth. That is a peacekeeping uniform. That is our identification as sons is when we take part of the Father's business, which is bringing peace. And to bring peace, we've got to engage in those places that have no peace. And the Lord is calling us to engage in that, in families, in homes, in environments, uh, in larger scales for some of us. The Lord says, I'm calling you to engage in my peacekeeping efforts by telling the good news, by tearing down the strongholds of darkness. The kingdom of God is righteousness, justice, and peace. That's what we do when we step into our position as his sons. That's exciting to me. But I think it's possible for us to get stalled before we even get there. 
Maybe we get to the place of purity where, oh Lord, it's so beautiful to see you. And we become a people who worship. And the Lord says, good, you're worshiping me. I love it that you see me clearly. Now be mobilized and move on, put on the armor. We've got work to do. And he's calling some of us into that. Worship is an integral part of warfare. We see it throughout the Old Testament, how worshipers were always part of the army. And we move from worship into warfare so that others can worship, so that others can be set free for worship. That's the point of our warfare, to bring peace so that people can worship the Lord. Spiritually aggressive. Then it goes on, and it says, this one is not that pleasant to hear. Doesn't sound like supreme blessing. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then he says it again, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Spiritually troubled, spiritually attacked, being attacked. Now, the amazing thing is that he talks about righteousness. We're being attacked because of our righteousness, persecuted because of righteousness. But the third point in the Beatitudes was that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, by the grace of God, there is a good gap of preparation between being filled with righteousness and persecution for righteousness. By the grace of God, he says, I'm going to give you righteousness. I'm going to fill you with righteousness. But the persecution won't necessarily come straight away. First, you're going to be made pure. Then you're going to be trained. You're going to be equipped. You're going to be enlisted in the peacekeeping forces. So that by the time you face persecution, you're ready for it. And you will see it as blessing. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Imagine this, I'm hungry and I see a piece of bread and I want to pick it up and eat it. And as I pick up that piece of bread because my whole body is saying, you need to eat, I pick up that bread and underneath it are a whole lot of maggots. I'm going to drop that bread in an instant and not take it because the cost or what comes with that bread is disgusting. Friends, what comes with righteousness is persecution. But by the grace of God, there seems to be a delay Enough of a delay between righteousness and persecution. For each and every one of us, friends, it seems that if we progress in our spiritual journey, we, will, we must expect persecution. Are you okay with that? If we're at the point where we're still hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we're probably not okay with that. In which case, we need to eat up. Eat up. Take hold of that righteousness. Eat faster so that we can grow stronger quicker and move on to the next step. Move on to purity. Move on to seeing God. Move on to mercy because we need to be engaging in God's war, God's battle. So he says, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then he says, with that righteousness will come persecution. But with persecution comes supreme blessing supreme blessing but by the time we step into it by the time we face persecution we are fully prepared fully ready as if to say I knew this was coming I've been waiting for this day and now I'm stepping into it with full confidence by the power and the grace of God I've trained for this this is what I've been training for that's glorious glorious and then Jesus ends it off. And he says, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, 
and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God calls us to be his prophets, his priests, and his kings on earth. Jesus is the great prophet, priest, and king, but he calls us to be his prophetic voice, declaring the future, declaring the way, declaring the good news in this earth today. He calls us to be a king, establishing righteousness and justice. He calls us to be priests, administering the gospel, the goodness of God. And he has that for each and every one of us. Now, what I would say to you this morning is that you, we need to look at our lives and say, where am I in this journey? Have I been camping somewhere? Have I been resting somewhere for too long? And I believe that the Spirit of God is crying out to you and say, break camp, break up camp, and go. Move on. Pick up everything that you've learned. Pick up everything that you've established. Throw away the things that you don't need for the next step and move on. Do it as an individual, do it as a family, and do it as a church. What is the next thing for your family, friend? Fathers, what is the next step for your family? What is the next step for your children? Moms, what is the next step for you and for the friends that you have, your group of friends who meet together every few weeks? What is the next step in your journey? None of us do this alone. There are no snipers in the kingdom of God, only troops. God calls us together in community to advance. For us as a church, for your small group, what is the next step? Even this morning, you might be here and you might be at the very beginning. You've been analyzing the state of your heart and you're saying, I can see that things aren't right there. And this morning, God is calling to you and He's saying, come on, come to the next step. Let the Spirit of God bring you to a place of brokenness, a place of weeping so that He can comfort you so that He can fill you with desires for hung, for righteousness, for goodness, for holiness, so that you can start thinking about other people, living a life that is poured out for the sake of others. Friends, the life of Christianity is incredible. It is a mystery. It is totally contrary to the life, the road, or the path that the world would set out for us. It is narrow. It is seemingly difficult, but by the power and the grace of God, we advance and we face circumstances that are exceptionally out of this world, literally out of this world. Because as we engage in our Father's business in the kingdom of heaven, the resources of heaven are open to us. The resources of heaven are open to us. I remember a friend of mine saying, a very wise man, he said, and I've, he said it about himself, and I've heard him say to other people who seem to have taken this journey seriously, he said, my friend, you will never be rich, but you will live like the rich. And I think that that is a word for some people this morning, is that you are pursuing riches on earth. You are fighting for it. You're advancing. You're building up strategies. You're building up capital so that you can build up your empire on earth. And the Lord is saying to you, my friend, 
I see what you're doing. I see that I've given you an ability to make wealth, and I want to tell you this morning that you will never be rich, but by my grace, you will live like the rich. I'm calling you to give up those things that you're fighting for, submit yourself to me, surrender yourself to me, and my friend, you will inherit the earth. An inheritance. People who are not rich, I know people who are not wealthy, who have not achieved, who have not overcome, who are not rich, and in an instant have been made wealthy through an inheritance. Friends, that's what God has for us. That's His plan. That's His purpose. We ourselves are laying up an inheritance for future generations. We're advancing. We're giving up. We're giving in. We're surrendering to the plans of God for the next generation. We have to be doing it. For the kids who are out there, the children who are in children's ministry, how are we going to make sure that they move from one step to the other? By ensuring that we move from one step to the next. God has that for us. He has it for each and every one of you. Now we're going to pray together, and I'm going to trust that God is, is blaring. He's calling you in your heart, and He's saying, break up camp. It's time to move on. And if you're sensing that this morning as we pray, I'd love for you to stand. I've, I often use this analogy that in our Christianity, we settle into a beanbag of God's comfort. You know, it's, it, it's almost impossible to get up out of a beanbag easily. It's too low to the ground. There's no arms that you can press on. You almost have to roll out of it. And it's actually easier to just stay sitting in the beanbag right? I wish I had one in the front here that I could get somebody to sit in just to, just to demonstrate. And it's possible that we have settled into the beanbag of God's comfort, and it's been good for a time. We've rested. We've grown. We've enjoyed the goodness of God, and God is saying, roll up out of that beanbag and move on. Throw that thing away. I've got something else for you. Get up out of that beanbag. Let's move on. God has great things in store for us. So if you're saying, all right, today, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. Nobody looks glamorous when they're getting up out of a beanbag. <laughs> but today, I'm standing up and I'm moving on. I'm taking hold of the next thing that God has for us. And I could spell out a hundred steps and it wouldn't even be relevant to all of us as to what God has for each of us. He you are unique to God, and His plan for you is individual. And so it's a matter of us going before the Lord and saying, Lord, what is, what is it that you would have for me? And how does it fit into the bigger scheme? How does it fit into the, the growth of the people around me? How does it fit into this community, my family, my friends? And see what He says. He's going to call you into it. He's going to equip you for it. But if you're saying this morning, Lord, I'm standing up then I would love for you to literally stand up out of your seats and say, yes, it's time. It's time. And we're going to pray together. We're going to commit to the Lord that we're going to answer His call and we're going to hear what He is saying for us. Oh, this is wonderful. When I see most of us as a church standing up, you know what that means is that this commitment that we've made today, the ripple of standing up out of this beanbag today, ripples through from this place into the community around us. The decision that you're making this morning affects your home, it affects your office, it affects your friends and your enemies. There's something powerful that happens when we stand up and we make this commitment. 
It doesn't just stay within these walls, but it ripples through these walls and it changes the spiritual climate of the place that we live in. Watch it. Enjoy it. Soak it in. Be alert to it, friends. It's going to be amazing.